showing business value for DevRel is tough. It's not impossible, but it is tough. And DevRel is a cost center in the same way that I think engineering is a cost center. We're not directly contributing to revenue like a sales team or a professional services team, but the business couldn't run without it. Welcome to the DevRelX podcast, the podcast brought to you from the DevRelX community and slash data. This podcast is devoted to developer marketing, relations, and advocacy. I'm Stathis Yorgakopoulos, and I'm your host. In each episode, we welcome a guest from the developer marketing world to talk about best practices, lessons learned, how-tos, data, and share insights and experiences to help you boost your DevRel game and win developers' hearts. You can find more people like you and resources, developer ecosystem data, news, jobs, and a bi-weekly digest at devrelx.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of the DevRelX podcast. Let me welcome today's guest, Michael Heap, who is the Director of Developer Relations and Developer Experience at Kong. Michael, welcome to the show. Hey, Stathis. Thanks for having me on today. Real glad to be here. We're very glad to have you. So, you know, tell us, as a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? So I was quite fortunate. I was exposed to computers fairly early on. I was generally much better at taking them apart than putting them back together. But it was um, always an interest of mine, just tinkering. And then over the years, I'd play like online JavaScript-powered games, right-click, view source. That was back in the days when you could actually read the source code of websites, work out how the Hangman game that I was playing actually worked. So I've I've always wanted to do something with computers. Nothing exciting like being an astronaut, unfortunately. There's nothing wrong with being attracted to computers, you know, from a young age. I'm pretty sure your parents weren't really excited that you, you know, you could take uh, take apart a computer very easily, but not really put it together. But, you know, it's all part of uh, tickling your curiosity, I guess. <laughs> it definitely is. I'm much better at putting them back together today than I used to be, which is a good thing. Yeah, it, it's definitely a good thing for you. So, you know, tell us a bit about your journey, you know, how, uh, what has your journey been like, you know, from a kid watching the source code of websites, tearing computers apart, playing Hangman, you know, all the way to leading developer relations and uh, developer experience at Kong. So I actually, before I even got into engineering, I actually trained as a mountain expedition leader, taking out groups of children, hiking, mountain climbing, things like that. And it was actually a a toss-up between doing that and going into software engineering. But software engineering, it paid better rather than working for the government. So I kind of landed on on that route. And when I graduated with my degree, I went and worked at a startup and then another startup. And that's where I really learned and built my engineering chops. So I spent 10 years in engineering teams, working on tickets, building software, learning about infrastructure. But I started to get a little bit frustrated because I I couldn't see what impact the work that I was doing was having. And I'd have all these ideas saying, hey, I should do this, I should do that. Uh, The company should do this. And I just couldn't get any traction until one day I I was having a conversation. I worked for a company called Datasift and we had an agile coach visiting us and I was chatting to her and I was irving my frustrations. And she said, well, why does the business care? And it was like a light bulb went off. I suddenly started thinking, actually, she's right. 
all these proposals that I've got, they're technically the right way to do things. But at the end of the day, the outcome is the same. And all it does is cost us more money. And after that point, I started to think, okay, how can I align the work that I'm doing with the business? And that involved talking to customers. And that's kind of how I fell into developer relations. I've always enjoyed uh, learning and teaching. And I've been speaking at conferences in my spare time. I think I've been doing it about seven years before I even got into it officially. But then I worked in the DevRel team first as an individual contributor, then as a manager for the documentation, then a senior manager. And then I worked my way up to director, where it was a more product management focused role. Uh, focusing on all of the customer touch points. And that was at a company called Nextmore, uh, which was acquired by Vonage. At that point, I found myself in product management. Uh, we built up a team of 45 people. And then I, I left for six weeks on paternity. And when I came back, everything was still working just fine. So I thought, well, my job here is done. And I went to do it all again. I was to do it at a smaller company, a startup. And that's how I landed at Kong. Yeah, that, uh, that sounds great and looks like it's been a, a great journey and very rich, you know, with experiences. You know, m- maybe we can talk afterwards about your hiking experience, but for the purposes of, uh, of this episode and, you know, this audience, our listeners, let's talk a bit about data. Can you please pick a graph from devrelx.com slash trends and tell us why and what stands, uh, what stands out to you? So I had a look at these a little bit earlier and the one that called out to me was the one titled Developer Team Leads Are Calling the Shots. And what the the infographic shows is that developer team leads are making recommendations and influencing decision makers more so than any other role, more than developers that aren't team leads, more than product managers, even more than CTOs. And this is really key for me because it really feeds into the the product-led growth aspect of building a business. A lot of people think about enterprise sales, target the C-level, like find my executive sponsor. But more and more companies, the developers, the team leads are the ones making the calls on a day-to-day basis. So that's a really good way to get into a business with a new product. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And this is exactly exactly what you how you described it, you know, we're seeing from the data that, you know, team leads are influencing, are playing a huge role in influencing the decision-making process, especially when it comes to tools that their teams will use. So yeah, there's, for anyone who's interested in finding out more about this topic, there's also a, a webinar we did a while back. It, you can find it under devrelx.com and resources. It's a free webinar. So if you want to learn more about how developers are influencing buying decisions, feel free to check it out. And it's a great graph uh, you picked, Michael, and it's really one of my favorites. So let's talk a bit more, you know, dive uh, into the developer relations topics. So what is your favorite thing about developer relations? It's got to be the variety in the day-to-day. I find that when I'm interviewing advocates, a lot of them say, well, what does a typical day look like? And it's just a real hard question to answer because on any given, you could be trying out your product as customer number zero with a new feature. You could be building demos. You could be working on docs. You might be maintaining SDKs. I, I don't think there's any other role in product or engineering that gives you such a wide variety 
of activities that you can spend your time on that still contribute to being successful in your role. And that's really important, keeping one hand in that engineering background, like scratching that coding itch. I think if I was working in a, a pure product role, I would struggle. But working in DevRel, it lets me write, it lets me build demos, and it lets me talk to customers. So it's a great combination of all of them. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely true. And from out of this variety of activities, which are the which is the one or the ones that you know give you most energy that you enjoy the most? So the one that I, I love the most is actually writing documentation. Because I think it's the the biggest impact activity that we can do. We can go to an event and present to 10 people, 100 people, 500 people. But if you write a great how-to guide or record a how-to video, that can reach 1,000, 10,000, 50,000 people and enable them to be successful with your product. And that's what motivates me, like other people being successful. Yeah, that's that's great. And you know for you know if you've been following and for those who've been following this podcast for a while this is what comes up most of the times you know when when we're discussing with someone it's this uh, ability to help people you know to solve a problem that they're having you know on the spot and you can do this either through you know from one to one discussion or you know your documentation, which is, as we said most of the time, and from uh, what we can see from our data, it's the starting point of your developer program. It's the base of your pyramid. So uh, I'm, I'm really happy to hear that. Yeah. Now, on the other uh, on the other side of the coin, you know, what would you say has been your biggest challenge or your you know your steepest hill? if I may, the pun, you know, from your hiking background? I think there are two. Right now, it's hiring. Like Everyone's trying to hire uh, people into developer relations teams. The market's really hot. Uh, I think we've got a, a great opportunity at Kong, but we are struggling to get people into the pipeline. So that is the, the number one thing. And the second thing is the tried and tested, where does developer relations sit? Is it marketing? Is it product? Is it engineering? At Kong, developer relations is firmly in product, but it still takes effort to educate people that we can support marketing activities, but we're not driven by the marketing metrics. So we like to spend our time building demos, producing videos to enable. It's counter to our aims to enable people to put that video on the website as a a webinar uh, with an email capture. So really trying to explain the the delineation uh, between departments and the the key results that we're working towards. I'd say that's the hardest part uh, because developer relations means different things to everyone. Yeah, and on the second part, we'll be you know diving a bit deeper, you know, as the this episode goes on. But I just wanted to ask you, you know, real quick because you you mentioned hiring. And, you know, I've seen a great influx of new jobs, new roles opening up in, you know, even different industries, you know, or industries you wouldn't initially expect to have a developer relations role. But you mentioned hiring and you've led uh, quite a few teams yourself. So what would you say is are the skills or, you know, characteristics that would make someone who is applying for a developer relations job, you know, stand out to you? For me, it would be curiosity, the the desire to learn how things work, 
and the ability to just tinker, try things. Like it's a, an old cliche, but attitude is a lot more important than aptitude. I'm a big fan of hiring junior developers, ju- junior developer advocates, second career developers from boot camps, and helping support them on their developer relations journey. Uh, we did that a lot whilst I was at Vonage, uh, and that worked out very, very well. Mm-hmm, great. Yeah, that's great. And uh, I'll also make sure to to add Kong's current openings in our DevRelX jobs portal. So, you know, if anyone's listening and as a kid wanted to tear computers apart and, you know, or try to figure out how things work, like Michael did, I'm sure curiosity is, uh, <laughs> is a big deal for you. So make sure you apply, I guess. Thank you. Would you say that developer relations is a cost center? Definitely. Definitely is one of those intangible things. Like every time there's a DevRel conference, there's at least half a dozen sessions on DevRel metrics. There's all the different models. You've got ORP, you've got Orbit. Showing business value for DevRel is tough. It's not impossible, but it is tough. And DevRel is a cost center in the same way that I think engineering is a cost center. We're not directly contributing to revenue like a sales team or a professional services team, but the business couldn't run without it. Imagine trying to sell a product that didn't exist because you didn't have an engineering team because you cut all your cost centers. DevRel is the same for me. DevRel are the people trying out the product, making sure it's usable, making sure it feels right, making sure that sample use cases are documented to the people that enable your customers to be successful and without that uh, your revenue will dramatically reduce but very little of that is tied directly back to devrel um, which is what makes them a cost center in my opinion and you know assuming as you say that you know devrel is a cost center Right. By the way, if I may say, you know, I don't think there are many other departments within a company that have this direct influence to company profitability or, you know, income, except for sales. But, you know, still, assuming that DevRel is the cost center, why should the business care about developer relations? For the reasons I just mentioned, DevRel are your customer number zero. They're the people that will try out your product and get frustrated but they're both incentivized to struggle through because they're being paid. And they generally have the skills to work through the issues and provide good feedback to the product team, to the engineering team, to make sure that before the product actually makes it out to customers, it's in the more usable state. They're also the people that help the company make small bets. You might see that your product is taking off in the React ecosystem. But instead of dedicating a portion of your engineering team to work on that, DevRel might write an integration or two or a React library that integrates. And then we can look at the usage of that. Is it being picked up by the community? Does it get featured in any newsletters? What does the install count look like? And if it's going well, then that can be taken into the the main Brosnan engineering team. I guess it's... It's like DevRel is an incubator for ideas and they can really test things out before you decide to bet your business on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I get your point. And 
I want to ask you because you you kind of mentioned it uh, earlier about you know and everybody knows that metrics and or the different models are is a pain point let's say for developer relations because you're trying to prove to the business the value that you're bringing so uh, how do you do that what's your approach to proving the value of developer relations to senior management so I I'm a fan of the the art model from Phil Legator. Uh, Phil and I worked together at Nextmore, which has influenced my thinking a lot. Uh, the reason I like ARP is it forces you to really think about what you're targeting. Are you looking to build awareness? Are you hoping to impact activation? Do you already have a lot of signups and are you hoping to increase retention? What are you trying to influence? That's the, the first question you've got to be able to answer before you can even start thinking about metrics. If you're looking at acquisition, then you need to make sure that your attribution pipelines are set up. How many people are your live streams driving, your YouTube videos? How many people sign up from the docs? By hosting um, your docs on the, the same domain as your product or a subdomain, you can do a lot of UTM tracking through cookies. So it's all transparent to the end user, but you start to attribute those signups to the DevRel team. If you're looking at retention, you've already got users in the system. So you look at what the, the churn rate is over the first week, the first four weeks, the first 12 months. You set a hypothesis, you implement it, and then you see if the churn rate goes up or down. In a lot of cases, the team is already monitoring a lot of these metrics. You just need a way to hook the devil activities into them. Your marketing team is already looking at attribution. Your product team is measuring churn. Don't try and reinvent the wheel. Just try and hook your DevRel metrics into the systems that already exist. Now I'm coming from a marketing background, and you know I, I've always thought that the ARP you know method or you know re- resembles at some points, but it's definitely not the same. But quite resembles you know the funnel as we have in the marketing. And I wanted to ask you because you also run developer experience at Kong at the same time as developer relations. You know what are those things? that you know could make sorry let me rephrase that uh, what are some things you know that you can add you know to your or, or your strategy or what are things you can do you know to make sure that you're moving towards you know retention you know apart from awareness it's a great question so if you're looking at awareness you're probably looking at uh, content marketing webinars event sponsorship hackathons conference talks things like that but as you move down the funnel, and I agree, I think the ARP does behave like a funnel in most businesses, from awareness down to activation and retention, your focus becomes less event-driven, less conferences, less meetups, and more focused on enablement. So API references, how-to guides, quick starts, interactive tooling, why didn't this work? Even error messages. If it doesn't work, don't respond with error code 42, like tell them what happened and even better, return a URL in the error that points to your docs that tells them how to fix it. The best way to increase retention in my experience is to decrease customer pain. People don't churn for fun. Either they don't have a use for the product, in which case you can never save them anyway, or they do have a use for the product. They were too frustrated trying to implement or operate uh, the tool that you offer that they had to leave. 
So focus on references, tutorials, even blog posts, like quick hacks, show them what's possible. A lot of customers see this gigantic API reference and think, oh, that's a thousand items. I don't know where to start. Choose a, a common use case and just get them started on that. Because as soon as they get to that aha moment, the sooner they will feel the value of your product offering. Yeah, yeah, I think this is very good. And, you know, in essence, you know, you should remove traction and at the same time, you know, provide resources that when someone is stuck on their way, they can just, you know, brush through it quickly and keep going. Otherwise, yeah, as you said, they, they might drop out. And obviously for the people who weren't that interested in the beginning, I don't think there's at this stage, there's so many things you can do, you know, to, to bring them forward. Yeah, this is great. So thank you for, for sharing it. And how do you think that DevRel can be a catalyst to business performance? I think that DevRel generally has the finger on the pulse of the community. They're the people that are watching what's happening in the community, in other businesses, within industry. And I think that getting ahead of the curve um, in emerging markets, emerging technologies, it can help catalyze business performance. It allows you to be the, the first to market, uh, which is a, a big benefit in a lot of cases. Um, imagine that there's a, I'll give you an example. Imagine that I work for Twilio, sending SMS, making voice calls, and I notice there's a, a new framework coming out. Elixir is getting very popular. There's a new Elixir framework that's picking up steam. If I, as a DevRel person, can identify Actually, there's a big market there. Let me write an integration for that framework's notification provider so that with two lines of code, any user of that framework can send a, an SMS. For me, that's high leverage. That's a market that didn't exist before. And that's something that's repeatable 10, 100 times because we know there's a new framework every week. Yeah, yeah, that, that's great. And thank you for sharing this example because it, it really, uh, to me at least, it really simplified what you what you really meant to say. But you you mentioned community and this, you know, the topic of community hadn't come up yet in the discussion. So how important do you feel the community is, either to the business or to developer relations, uh, however you like to approach it? It really depends on what your your company does. It depends if you're a developer-first company and that community is your target audience or if you're a developer plus and you're more focused on B2B sales and the developers just incidentally implement your services. If you're developer-first, then the community is very important. They're the people that you socialize your ideas with. They're the people that will be your early adopters the people that will provide feedback when things don't quite go as planned. If you're running an open source project like we do here at Kong, they're the people that are actually contributing. They're the people that say, actually, I think this would be a great enhancement. Let me submit a pull request. They're the people helping drive your roadmap by saying, hey, we'd like to run our own performance tests. Would it be possible for you to uh, refactor some of the performance testing code in Kong Gateway so that we can test our custom plugins with that. The community is really important for helping you define a roadmap, uh, but also test those new features as they come out. 
Yeah, yeah, I, I agree, and uh, thank you for making the uh, developer plus or developer, uh, you know, f- led distinction because um, this is also really important on the uh, on the focus and the gravity, let's say, that the community can also have, you know, to influence the product. Open source, as you said, obviously is heavily heavily reliant on contributions, and therefore you should put your focus there too. So now. Because we mentioned the role of uh, developer relations, you know, within the business. Do you think that DevRel should be a standalone department? So my thinking on this has changed over the years. If you asked me four years ago, I would have said yes. I think that DevRel is cross-cutting enough. And there are elements of marketing for acquisition, products for uh, retention, and engineering for building out demos and things. But I don't believe that anymore. I think the DevRel should be very clearly aligned to a department because that's how you stop a DevRel team being pulled in every direction. If you're standalone, marketing will want help, product will want help, engineering will want help, sales will want help, and you have nothing to guide you in a specific direction. Whereas if you're embedded within marketing, you know that MQLs and acquisition, like those are your main focus. Product improvements, if you've got time, they're a great thing to work on. But we really are focused on content production and acquisition. Whereas if you sit in product, yeah, you'll help with the live streams, you'll do some webinars, but your main focus is customer enablement, working on the docs, working on those SDKs, like sitting within a team really gives a DevRel team focus, I think. This is, I'd say, this is very, very interesting to me because and through discussions, you know, for this for this podcast, it's come up, you know, almost every time how developer relations is, uh, if we assume a Venn diagram, you know, with circles on sales and product and marketing, you know, DevRel is overlapping all of them. But I really like what you just said, and it ties very well to the topic uh, that we were discussing earlier about, you know, why should also the business care? Because this way, I really like the fact that, you know, it it gives direction. Otherwise, yes, it would be true. It would be pulled to serve, you know, its department's goal at the time. Because, But if it sits under a very specific uh, department, then the goals are also very specific. And this way, you could align uh, developer relations with the business strategy. And I think this really simplifies the part of, you know, talking talking about the value. Exactly. Once you sit within a department, you are very much aligned to their key results, their metrics, and it makes showing business value much easier. Can you tell us a bit more about how you set your priorities in your developer relations strategy? So, for example, for you, either in this role or in general, what are your, you know, your top three priorities of your developer program? It's hard to answer that one without knowing more about the business context that you're in. But in general, uh, priority number one is supporting the business roadmap and releases, making sure that how-to guides, version, uh, new version, launch blog posts, like showcase videos, things like that, get done. The the second priority is understanding the top use cases. So at Kong, a lot of our installs are 
uh, with Docker. So we need to make sure that the getting started experience for Docker-based gateway installs is perfect. You can get it done within five minutes. And then the, the final priority is actually to make space for the DevRel team. So if you ask a product team or a marketing team what you should be doing, they will fill all of the time that you have available. But I think it's really important to carve out some time for what the, the team wants to do, for them to run little experiments, to invest in tooling, to be able to, to work on the docs platform. So that instead of copying and pasting docs content between versions, we can just have a single source that renders data and information conditionally based on what version of the docs people are looking at to reduce the maintenance burden. I think it's really important that the the team has space to work on things that are important to them. And those things generally make the team more efficient as well, which ends up providing more business value in the long term. Yeah, uh, this I, I think this last point is also very important because, you know, uh, sometimes we see companies hiring for developer relations, you know, and using uh, either this team or persons, you know, uh, to serve very specific things, as you just said, and end up filling, filling their time with specific expectations that are related either to product or uh, marketing, as you already mentioned. But it's also important, you know, to give the team the freedom to help, you know, guide and build itself around what it really wants to achieve. Yeah, so I really think this is great. And since you're a, a docs person that you really enjoy it, uh, as you said in the beginning, do you have any tips for our listeners on how to write good documentation? How to make sure you know that your documentation is really helpful? Keep it as simple as possible. Use as few words as you can and make sure that you work through it multiple times. So write it once, make notes as you're going then try and follow the docs word for word. Don't fill in the gaps in the docs saying, oh, well, I know how to do this. Right? If it says run a command, literally run the command, and when the error comes up, you say, oh, I need to tell them to change to the source directory first. So be very literal. It's like you find someone on the street and ask them to just sit down and follow exactly what you've written. Right? Follow that process yourself. And once you can be successful, literally by copying and pasting from the guide that you're following, then it's ready to ship. This is, I have to say, this is a great analogy. And I never uh, thought or heard about it before, but it's exactly what, what it is. You know, you want to guide someone to follow the exact specific directions you'll be giving them if they do want to reach their destination. So this is, I'd say this is a perfect analogy. And uh, thank you for sharing it. And uh, also, you know, thank you for your time and you know, joining us on this podcast. If people want to hear more from you, how can they reach you? So you can find me almost everywhere on the internet at mheap. That's M-H-E-A-P. Uh, so twitter.com slash mheap, github.com slash mheap. Or you can find me at michaelheap.com, where there's blog posts, open source project ideas, all kinds of things. Perfect. And to close on a positive note, what is one thing you watched or read very recently and, you know, got excited about? So over the last few years, I've read a lot of business books, psychology books, really trying to learn about people. So one of my resolutions for 2022 was to read more fiction. 
and I've just finished um, a series called The Thursday Murder Club, which is about a, a set of 70-year-olds in a retirement home that set out to solve a murder. And it's just wonderful. It's very easy reading. Um, it's a little bit too twee at times, but I've really enjoyed just switching off to a little bit of fiction. So that's the, the Thursday Murder Club. Sounds good. I haven't haven't heard of it or read it, but I'll sure like to check it out. I really like the you know the the top description that you gave. So, Michael, thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, it's been great having you. It's been a pleasure, Stathis. Thanks for having me, and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you, and to our listeners, thank you for listening to the Devil Lakes Podcast, the podcast devoted to developer marketing and relations. You can listen to all episodes, find free resources and the latest news, and join our community at devrelakes.com. You can also subscribe to our bite-sized bi-weekly digest or follow us on Twitter at slash data HQ. Thank you. <laughs>